Welcome everyone to What the Force. I'm Marie Claire Gould, your host, and this is Once Upon a Time in the Outer Rim, where we cover the Mandalorian from a metamythic perspective. And joining me for this adventure is my good friend and yours, Alex Kane. Thank you for having me. We are going to be discussing episode 20 of the chapter 20 of The Mandalorian. The Foundling. We like to deep dive into it from a uh, fairy tale, mythic, meta perspective. Uh, And so that means, you know, talking about these things from a Joseph Campbell perspective, using symbolism from a Jungian psychology perspective, as well as archetypes and other mythic concepts. And just a reminder to follow us on social media, as well as like and subscribe on your app of choice to keep up to date. And of course, you can support us on Patreon, or we now have merch, which is great, uh, which you can, of course, purchase if you desire. Uh, Those are the ways you can support us. All right, let's dig into The Foundling, which was written by Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni and directed by Carl Weathers. Yeah, uh, Carl did what one episode in season two that was pretty good um so it's nice to see him back he did sort of the uh the car chase episode i think of it as like where they uh they go to the cloning facility and yeah like there just happened to be a cloning facility on that planet (laughs) yeah like on navarro somewhere right Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. like in the canyon or something yeah it was interesting that that this episode I would say it was more solidly put together than that episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. More memorable, but, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have him back, which is good. Um, yeah. What did you think of the episode? It was fun, you know. Um, I mean, there's like a lot to say about what I felt about it, but uh, a lot of that is kind of overshadowed by Ahmed Best. Um, yeah. You, you know, on, uh, you kept on messaging me. Like, I can't stop thinking about Ahmed Best in this episode. I, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of like I didn't know what to say about anything else for a little while because I was just kind of overwhelmed by uh, how cool that that stuff was. Oh, um, so cool. Um, but yeah, this is sort of a very what traditional sort of uh, you know, young boy becomes a man with some complications kind of story, you know, very a very John Favreau, very Mandalorian traditional little tale yeah. with <laughs> it felt a little like season one, right? Like shorter episode. It was a know. lot like Rick's first episode with the egg, you know, and the yeah. mud horn. Like a very, yeah. Even the the like look of the land looked very similar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you've got like the, the winding canyon with like the river and like the river valley type deal, which is very uh, Mando season one. I don't know. To me, there's sort of two things happening. There's almost two episodes happening in the same episode. One yeah. is for Grogu, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. He's experiencing uh, a Lap of the Goddess episode. He gets to, you know, experience that. And Lap of the Goddess means basically it's a place to rest and recuperate and sort of deal with all of the hard things that have happened to you before something larger is going to happen. Um, you know, quite often, uh, it's sort of just peaceful and restful. And it also symbolically is tied to 
a return to the womb. He spends most of the episode while the party is away inside of the cave, basically watching the armor and having flashbacks of traumatic experiences. And so this is how this classifies as a lap of the goddess episode. He basically returns to formative memories of the past and Mm -hmm. works through those. Um, yeah, you've got yeah. Oh, so you've sort of got Grogu going through like Din's interior journey from season one, while Bo goes through Din's exterior journey through. Yeah, exactly. One, and you know? the second part of the episode is, and the second episode within the episode is entirely Bo's journey. She is the leader of the party, and so it's all about her end to end. Yeah. Din ain't moving at all right now. He is very, (laughs) very static. And that is fine. Characters are allowed to be static. But I think that it's a little off-putting for some people watching it and expecting Din to be the main character. Sure. Yeah. That happens in a lot of shows, I think. You know, multi-season shows. We've said from the beginning that it wasn't going to be just about Din the Mandalorian. It's going to be about the Mandalorian, the people. Yeah, I think like it's meaningful that Grogu's like flashing back to the Clone Wars, you know, Mm -hmm. just as Din, Din flashed back to the Clone Wars. And you're sort of seeing like, you know, the way this one, you know, quote unquote, people were affected by, you know, the rise of the the Empire. The same stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, so we start out the episode with uh, sort of training in the covert. I got to say their training methods are not super impressive. Shooting wildly <laughs> at the water feels like something that is not very effective. There is no like uh, target practice. I was sort of making notes in my head, not actually typing them out. But the first time I watched it, like late at, you know, Tuesday night or whatever, I was like, OK, here we have the action figure nonsense that like you know like <laughs> just just very kind of uh yeah i don't know like like perfunctory boba fett action type stuff like, like it, it's very simple it, it sort of did feel like this is how kids play with action figures is yeah what you're yeah it was like let's like get this out of the way of like okay we've got all these mandalorians in costume with jetpacks and they can't just be standing around staring at things they got to be doing stuff what do they do they don't like hunt for food they don't take off their helmets to eat together as a community i guess they just fight each other yeah which i mean to have a community entirely based around the perfection of violence is not ideal right there should there's there's no balance in that Right. I remember when I was a kid, I went to like these Cub Scout summer camp things. Oh, yeah. And it reminded me of that where like, you know, you have a bunch of what, like seven, eight year old boys, nine year old boys, however old we were, just kind of like going from station to station and doing all this goofy shit. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, like archery and, you know, God knows what. I was like, I was a girl guide, which is like the equivalent of the girls side in canada and uh yeah gotcha gotcha. okay so we're making bannock which is you know like an indigenous food 
basically today and then you're going and shooting archery and then you're making like a beaded necklace <laughs> nice yeah it did feel a lot like that um yeah did it feel helpful like did this feel like good training like you're like yes this, the, these people are prepared i don't know i mean you have like <laughs> basically like paintball guns with three shots and uh, yeah i don't know it just felt like uh like a kid version of like a western duel like a yeah yeah i, I don't know that's a good question <laughs> din's like girl who's got to start training i'm i'm sad of my kid not being the kid that's always picked never picked for baseball or for yeah. <laughs> soccer yeah it felt like that it felt like oh my god my kid is behind yeah <laughs> and so he brings him over to be like and you have a challenger and they're all like <laughs> he's too small and he's like nah you gotta do it yeah uh, and so he's going to be fighting Ragnar, who was the kid at the first uh, episode that got his helmet and was uh, almost killed by the thing in the water. <laughs> yeah. um, the ever, ever present threat of giant alligator. This kid is uh, tiptoeing on Death's door all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he's cursed. He's cursed. Yeah. He's legitimately um, cursed. Yeah. Like he's in his like baptismal ceremony and he almost dies and he's in a i'm i'm a fight scenario and almost dies um yeah but anyway so they put up they put up these like he puts up this like um you know sort of fight against him and uh he says you know he kind of just you know pushes back on din and din says one does not speak unless one knows and ragnar's like i know <laughs> and yeah. din says Perhaps this lesson is for you. Yeah. I like that a lot. It was cute. There was a couple like catchphrasey lines in this episode where they're like, oh, they've got to they've got to replace this as the way with like something new to that's catchy that people want to say. I felt like this was intended for, you know, one of those. I don't know. No one has as amazing lines as Quill, in my opinion. His yeah. are always the best. He's very missed. I agree. I miss him. Um, but what's cool is like Ragnar chooses a weapon that obviously Grogu won't be completely terrible at. It's not like a gun. <laughs> it's darts. Yeah. 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 But to your point, it is sort of like uh, miniature paintball guns. <laughs> They line up to fight and uh, Grogu gets his little like dart gun uh, attachment to his arm and Bo takes him aside and says it reminds him, reminds her of his, her father, how he used oh, to yeah. like put a lot of pressure on her and yeah. that just means that Din is proud of him. This felt ultra familial. Yes. Like the mom. Yeah. Commenting on the dad. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. yeah, like Bo already has like this really like closeness with Grogu. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like, you so, know, he's like being pushed cause he's powerful, right? He's got this, you know, raw power or whatever. Um, so you but, end up having a scenario in this episode where you have the two good mother and you have the uh, devouring mother and we get to see both uh -huh. in this which is cool so um Bo is representative of the two good mother which sort of gives you the pep talk etc et and the 
uh, Devouring Mother gives you, um, who's much like uh, Baba, ya- Baba Yaga, right, gives you the truth of the world, which is hard and full mm. of suffering and pain. And uh, for Grogu, we get both. Uh, we also get both in um, another way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they fight and Grogu gets hit two times and needs to be remi- reminded he's awesome. So Din's like, remember, you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then he takes him out very, very quickly using, of course, his leapfroggy skills. Yeah. Which is cute. They really like, they push the puppetry to the limit in this episode where they're like, you Grogu's know, they're walking. Yeah. He's making frowny faces. I'm sure there's more like CGI than is like obvious, but it's yeah. like, it feels like they've mastered the the practical puppetry and they're they're like really yeah. putting it to use here. Yeah. His little his little step waddles are always so good. I love yeah. it. <laughs> uh Ragnar is frustrated and so goes and looks at the lake after the, the loss and a dragon flies in and captures him just straight up <laughs> taking the child. This kid. This poor kid. <laughs> and all the Mandalorians fly after them in their jetpacks, right? Especially Paz Vizsla. Yes. Who you start to really like in this episode, I feel like. <laughs> He's kind of been like an unlikable prick thus far. <laughs> <laughs> but I, in this episode, I was like, all right, he can he can stay, I guess. I like him. I don't know. It just raises many questions about Mandalorian life. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it does. Yeah, I saw some of that floating around <laughs> on Twitter. Like... Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. It's fine. Um, um, but you know, they're they're unable to keep up. But Bo, being smart, took her ship and so was able to actually follow the dragon to its home. Found out where the nest is, identified it, went back to the covert, and decides to lead a party to go after Ragnar with Paz and, of course, uh, you know, a subsection of the covert to go and rescue this child. It entirely reminded me of the searchers. Yes, the searchers. Yes, I thought like, the same there's thing. There's so much of the searchers in this, uh, very Western across the board, you know. Um, and yeah. of course, they're very worried about approaching the nest uh, and making too much noise with the ship because, um, you know, if they if they scare the dragon, the boy will just be killed, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's like a stealth operation, they said. Yeah. Yeah. So the rescue party leaves, they fly off, and while they're away, the armorer babysits Grogu. This is where Mm. we get the lap of the goddess pieces. So she brings him back into the cave, and she teaches him some harsh lessons about life. Not in a hard way. It never is in a lap of the goddess scenario, but um, essentially he goes into therapy. (laughs) He gets caught up in the the motions of what is happening and the flashes of the fire and the forest. Um, she talks about how the forge is the heart of Mandalorian culture, shaping the steel like they shape themselves. And it's an absolute amazing metaphor for integrating the shadow selves, shadow aspects of yourself and the trauma that you've experienced in the past. And, and we get these flashbacks to Order 66 and basically what Anakin, Darth Vader attacking the temple with the clone troopers. Yep. Yeah, he's like hiding in a, an elevator, right? 
Yeah, like he was just he was walking down a hallway when they are attacking and then he like had he went into an elevator and managed to get out and run into Keller and Beck, who um, was played by Ahmed Best, who, of course, is best known for his amazing acting as Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, kind of a VFX pioneer. Yeah, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, um, Andy Circus gets like a lot of credit, but there was like a, a moment on Twitter where Ahmed Best kind of like said, hey, you know, like I was there too, kind of thing um, a yeah. couple of years ago. And, and Circus is like, yeah, no, absolutely. And um, yeah, Jar Jar was a, a big, big deal for uh, Huge. that movie and, and for, for what George wanted to do to push technology and. Yeah, it's uh, cool. Like they didn't they didn't know what would work really. And so they just kind of built Jar Jar as they went. And yeah. It's cool. Yeah. And uh, like my husband, Kyle, loves Jar Jar, like loves him. So he does not tolerate any Jar Jar dissing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Keller and Beck, who uh, Ahmed Best has actually played before in the Jedi Temple Challenges, which you can actually Jedi Temple Challenge, which you can actually see on YouTube. Um, there was like a release of a couple of episodes and it was basically like a very 1980s, 1990s kids game show that came out. Yeah. And it's in a mysterious place and these kids all like magically show up because they're strong with the force. They're real kids. And they all like go through temple challenges to become Jedi. It's really cute. Yeah, I don't know if I really have watched it, but I, I do remember growing up like the legends of the hidden temple and all that stuff. Yeah, it was, it was it's really hugely popular at one very point. Very inspired by that idea. Um and they're being chased by clone troopers, which are, are voiced by Tim Morrison, which is also so fun to have him back. Yeah. Uh, they enter in. He puts Grogu in like a little sidecar on a speeder and yeah. they're chased on a speeder chase through Coruscant. Oh, my gosh. This was great. This whole sequence, everything with Ahmed Best was so good. Yeah. Like they're getting a lot of mileage out of that Coruscant footage that they've, you know, Put together, I guess, for his shows, and and we see like Monument Plaza again with the the summit of the the mountain. Yeah, with Umat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, it was just like, hey, we just saw that last episode. <laughs> yeah, it's the thing. It's the yeah. It's the, um, it's the thing. It's the peak. Yeah, Don't it touch was really it. fun. Like the you know the speeder was cool, and yeah. I don't know. Like best is just so cool in the in the role. Like yeah. I would love like an eight episode Kelleran Beck series. Like honestly, yeah. at this point, I, I don't know. It, he, it, he deserves. Sold me. He deserves it, and also he is the hottest of Jedi. <laughs> He's so cool, man. Like um, he, he wields two lightsabers, kind of like Anakin and Attack of the Clones. There's a lot of yeah. Attack of the Clones imagery here, which. I mean, it, I it brings us like they go down the sort of transit tunnel and turn off and he ends up uh, at a, a platform with a Naboo ship. And he says, uh, my friends, my friend has helped us here, basically. Yeah. And so the question is, friend, because it's a Naboo ship. It's the same one that Padme used in Attack of the Clones. Right. Um, 
Is that representative Banks? Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, because... They might as well just go full bore and have Ahmed Best play two characters at once. I want it. That's interesting, yeah. I want Jar Jar Banks to come back. That is probably the wink that they're making, that this is like Jar Jar's ship that Padme has like given him since... Because Padme's (laughs) ship ends up being given to Vader in the comics. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Greg Pak ones. Yeah. Like, she ends up in episode three with, like, the wide wingspan one that goes to Mustafar, but this is, like, definitely the the episode two one. This is the one that, like, but they probably have more than one of the Nibuian class ships. I suppose, yeah. They probably have more than one. Um. Anyway, so is this Jar Jar Banks' ship? I hope so. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, now that you said that, I, I was just, just thinking say like yes. Padme. Just say yes. Yeah. Just say yes, Dave. Yeah. I, I really want to know like all the behind the scenes, like thought process behind this episode. Because um, I was just so like shocked and happy when... It was Ahmed who showed up. I don't know. I was like, I want to know the the story behind this. And I, I guess maybe it was just Filoni, but uh, I don't know. It felt like there was something else at work here, like Kathy or George or somebody who was like, oh, you should have it be Ahmed. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it was so cool. I mean, I could see George saying all of this. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And and whenever Dave is involved, I'm always like, oh, he called George. I always say that. I mean, George has such a, he's, he's got a sense of humor and he loved Ahmed. He loved Jar Jar. He jokingly gave episode two the working title, Jar Jar's Big Adventure, just because yeah. to poke Jar-Jar fun at the, the fans. Jar Jar is the key to all of this. Yeah. Like. Right. Yeah. Um, and the, like the truth is Jar Jar is the thing that like was tricked and caused the downfall of the Republic by yeah giving him emergency powers. Right. Like and doing those things. He was. Tricked. Yeah. I wonder how much of that was planned long term. I feel like that just naturally evolved out of George's Probably. <laughs> I don't know, thought process over time. Uh, it's so funny. Um but yeah. It also sort of comes like Jar Jar being a Sith Lord. Like there's kind of a like a nod and a wink to that idea too. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Kellerin uh back leaves with Grogu on the ship. The uh Naboo guard are basically left behind to stop the clones from chasing them. They're probably not gonna survive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, yeah we assume good. we assume i think we can correctly assume they're gonna be going to naboo oh yeah okay i like that maybe yeah grogu might have been at padme's funeral or going to the gungan city or oh okay you know like there's a lot of interesting things and it doesn't feel like we're done with these flashbacks from grogu oh i hope you're right i really hope you're right about that That like we're getting like little um, mini adventures of him working through things that have happened that led him to the point of him being you know captured and basically held i definitely had my notes that this episode it sort of invokes that there's always a bigger fish thing you know yeah 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 it plays with that so you bringing up oda gunga the underwater city is kind of funny I, like i would love to see that come back um i was like that yeah i don't know i i loved like i i would like i said i'd take a whole like season series of of uh keller and beck just being a, a jedi he's amazing 
I love him. Uh, so the armor basically finishes up making, uh, you know, of the scraps, a, a sort of chest piece for Grogu uh, with a, the mud horn crest on it. Yeah. Which is so cute. And uh, yeah, it's it's adorable. Um, we we flash back to the arrival of the party uh sort of parking the ship and needing to approach on foot. This is the equivalent of parking the horses and needing to approach on foot. Yeah. <laughs> and they end up getting to the base of the rock tower. And, you know, there's kind of a rocky outcrop that protects them from being seen. And they're like, well, let's camp here and climb at first light. Yeah. And they all sit around the fire and they're chatting. And then they pull out their food and everyone goes off to go take off their helmet and eat. And because Bo is leading the party, she gets the light of the fire. Yeah. This is so hard to watch for me personally, because community is tied to nourishment of spirit and of body. And there is no nourishment of spirit if you're not sharing meals together. Yeah, it's very just lonely. Yeah, I don't know. That's I mean it it's absolutely tied to the isolationist aspect of being an incubating egg. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, you think of like all the traditions and holidays and just like family yeah things that we do in our society and it's like all about like the table, you know. Um Jesus at the Last Supper and all that, like that image of like that's uh, community and fellowship and. But if we if we tie this back to Din's journey, this was episode four of season one. Yeah, was the village episode where Din struggled with the fact that he had to take off his helmet all alone and couldn't be around other people and couldn't be part of the community. And we're seeing mm. the exact same reaction from from Bo. Yeah, also a lap of the goddess episode. episode oh, four. Yeah, with with Omera being Omera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've we've had a lot of episodes like that what are you fighting for question mark question mark question mark <laughs> what are you trying to protect and i don't think that anyone within this mandalorian covert has a good answer of what they're trying to protect other than just living and they're just yeah. surviving day to day and yeah there has to be something more than that yeah the the opening image of the episode essentially is like grogu playing with these little rocks with in the sand they're buried oh i totally forgot about that yeah, yeah there's crabs hiding in plain sight you know and yeah. it's basically a metaphor for the the mando's existence you know they're exactly hiding right. buried in the sand buried in the sand and they're not actually able to flourish really yeah like they it don't they don't move until grogu yeah. picks one up and then it has to because it's like freaking out or whatever yeah like, and they're they only move because they're scared instead of through desire and seeking what they want yeah like that sort of like reactivity of like oh god now i have to do something to not get swallowed up rather than you know, mm -hmm. your whole like what, seek joy type thing, you know, like yeah. what should be better. Um, yeah. But, and also, like, it's not healthy to, it, you're hiding your truth, right? If you're hiding your face, you're, yeah. you're stopping yourself from ever truthfully connecting with another person. Sure. Yeah. You're like hiding the, your soul and mm -hmm. your, yeah, exactly. Um, 
so we're faced with the uh, Tower of Rocks. What did what did this sure. Tower of Rocks represent to you? Mm. Reminding reminding you that this episode is for Bo. Bo, huh? You got to think back she, to where she was. Where she? Oh, like you mean in the like the water? Well, like in in the fact that she she had lost the dark saber and she had essentially um, felt like she couldn't you know lead anybody. Oh right, yeah. She right. was kind of like on a on a throne with no one around. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. She kind of lost uh, any sense of community. Yeah. And she lost the thread, right? And now she's climbing a rock pillar to save a child. Yeah. With a community. But, you know, towers like this, like when you have to climb a tower, it represents, especially one that's tall and you have like a fear of like, there's the fear of falling. It's that you have a, you fear the challenge that you have to embark and it, because it's a tower, it's related to leadership. Gotcha. So this episode is entirely with the exception of the Grogu bits uh, about Bo and her struggling to still want to be a leader. Um, they approach the nest and they're climbing a lot of stuff. It's very scary. Uh, they're very worried about making too much noise. And Paz is like, he's my son. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a couple references to the fact that this flying dinosaur has like taken children before and like yeah. they sort of were like too noisy on the way up to rescue them and the, the thing ate the child like yeah. multiple times potentially. And Paz uh, is like losing his mind. Like this is the most like crazy acting from John Favreau <laughs> from a voice acting perspective. <laughs> He's genuinely like very scared. He's going to lose his son. Uh, this raises questions about uh it just raises questions about the mandalorian (laughs) covert who's the mom yeah honestly where was he when they were like in those book of boba fett episodes yeah gotta be the armorer's kid right or no i have no whoa interesting no i don't know oh well no the kid's pretty old so it could be anybody's kid yeah yeah yeah. i mean oh you're just saying where was the child when he was like (laughs) yeah this is just he was off with his mom somewhere yeah is his mom still around what's i i just i have questions listen this is star wars we're not going to get into details like where is the mother okay (laughs) like nobody nobody's interested in you know don't get names i get it i get it uh somebody brought up the fact that what's that bad me asking for a mother's name (laughs) somebody brought up the fact that padme is not mentioned by name in the sequel trilogy again and i was like oh man that's so uh, so hard uh you know we're we're working on it we're working on um the bar was very low john favreau and dave Um, loney you could have given her a name ragnar's mother yeah yeah i don't care it could have been ragnarette i don't care The bar was Tross. So the dragon in this episode, as they approach, represents the devouring mother. So devouring mothers are, you know... uh, a symbolic representation of a codependent relationship that, you know, emotionally and psychologically, she's only uh, seeks fulfillment through her children um, and is inseparable from the role that she fulfills uh, as sort of the the 
penultimate mother. Sometimes they're considered to be dragon moms. Uh, like you live your life through your children, essentially. And yeah, like stay in the nest so that I don't then have to also leave the nest and, yeah. and be a yeah 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 and and very like um it it hasn't separated her own role from like as a mother from the role of um you know or or from having other hats that she likes to wear because she is you know a full whole person she is invested entirely in being a mom and the bird's nest itself is not unlike the cave of the covert so who is the devouring mother of the cave of the covert oh the armorer absolutely yeah right she has one role and her role is entirely to keep the covert as children as eggs in the nest mm. they're all in their armor and they're not allowed to break out of it and i'm not saying that that's not helpful when especially you're in a time of insecurity and you need to protect those people right or they need to be reborn symbolically <laughs> as a people but there's going to be a time when the those birds going along with the metaphor or the dragons need to leave the nest and make nests of their own right that yeah. that's what's that's the parallel and the metaphor and we know that the dragon represents the devouring mother because Ragnar is swallowed whole oh, and is spit up yeah. to be fed right, to the right. children yeah yeah well aren't the, aren't the babies like they're like completely hidden in the nest and they sort of yeah. pop up <laughs> okay uh, yeah so exactly like the crabs that we saw earlier and also the covert itself, right? Like these, they're saying all the same things symbolically. Yeah. So it's not saying that there isn't wisdom in what the armor has to offer, but there's a point at which you have to break out of the shell. There's a point at which you have to leave the nest. There is a point at which you have to grow beyond the parent that is blocking you from advancing. Mm -hmm. uh, they fight with the dragon and she ends up getting devoured herself by something else. The bigger fish idea, right? Yeah. Um, it, it sucks. Like they weren't trying to kill her. They were trying to use nets. They were trying to get Ragnar back without killing her, obviously, or attacking her directly. And it's like nature took care of that. I wonder if this is foreshadowing for our other devouring mother. Yeah, I, I wrote in my notes before we talked, like, it feels like some big foreshadowing where this episode feels kind of um, prophetic, you know, or yeah, something, you know? It, it feels like the kind of episode that, yeah, is like doesn't seem that important until it will when when something big happens but um obviously we both really enjoyed it but i think like kind of the larger consensus is like well that was short and uneventful which is you know i mean the i way like people, any episode that i love the it, devouring you know? mother yeah um <laughs> but uh yeah i think we we both had that reaction that this is like foreshadowing something big and important and and i was like I think it's maybe something where like Din is going to be in danger and that's going to mm -hmm. be what gets Grogu to to sort of get out of his, you know, bubble of, of you know, 
being a little baby, you know, and like go risky dad. Whereas uh, you thought it was more uh, the armorer, which is interesting. That's that makes more sense, probably. Well, I mean, it's just sort of the the parallels between the nest and the covert and yeah. the, the mom and, you know, things like that. Um, they they return back to the covert with Ragnar in tow and also three new foundlings, as they say. Threes are significant numbers. It represents life, death, life. So rebirth, uh, past, present, future. Uh, three is a significant choice for three dragons. Yeah, yeah sort of like like din Bo, and grogu yeah <laughs> probably yeah, exactly um and the armor congratulates Bo for uh you know doing the highest honor of the creed which is saving a foundling and she notices that Bo has lost her pauldron and so offers to forge a new one not with any of the trappings of modern technology but uh, with a, uh, you know, with the scraps that they have around of the Mandalorian steel. And Bo asks if, or the armor asks if she would like the night owl on her shoulder. And um, Bo answers, can I have the mythosaur? And, you know, of course, the mythosaur belongs to all Mandalorians. So that's appropriate. And then it leads down this merry trail of, are we talking metaphorically, symbolically? Are we talking about real life of what if I saw a mythosaur? (laughs) Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And the armor like, don't dismisses it in a of course you saw mythosaur you're part of the cult now <laughs> that's nice sweetie yeah um you know yeah, yeah. It, it's very much like oh you'll see many things when you walk the yeah. way yeah no. yeah but it was real well this is the way for it to be real and it's it's really like challenging the of course you're gonna see mythical things if you start believing in the myth yeah right all right questions for you is sure. Bo buying into the covert's way of thinking yeah i think that's like the big question that i have this episode where like uh, you know a lot of people's reactions this season in general have been like like Bo, what are you doing like you're you're like gonna drink the kool-aid and like you we're just all gonna go along with this and this is the way it's like being used uh you know sort of uncritically and unironically and um i don't know i think that's tough to say at this point I think what she's doing is she's feeling things out to see like, okay, what can I get out of this that Din has gotten out of it? Like clearly, you know, this road doesn't lead all the way, you know, to where, you know, like we've talked about how they're static, they're hiding underground. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we sort of know from the past that, that Bo has a bigger imagination than that you know she's been to you know the the fallen royal city where Mm -hmm. like her family once ruled and she's sort of coveted the dark saber or whatever um you know so her her vision is much bigger than hiding out in a cave in the desert somewhere (laughs) um but at the same time you know i think that people who I, I like I live a very irreligious life, but, I, you know, I've been to church. And I've, I've known people and who, you know, people will go to like a, you know, uh, what is it like uni, Unitarian Universalist church or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just kind of kind of like seek truth and seek community and belonging. And, you know, there's that like search for, you know, that philosophical journey that people go on and, and say, well, you know, let me hear them out. You know, and 
uh, you know, in like college philosophy classes or, you know, religious studies classes, you know, you, you want to kind of meet these ideas halfway and interrogate them and question yourself. And that's healthy probably. And I think that's what Bo's doing, I guess, for my money is I think she's kind of saying, you know, what, what is there that we can, you know, like if you have a mine and you're trying to get the, the best car or the magical, you know, whatever out of it that, that the Mandalorians get from the, the mining, um, you know, what think she's going to challenge for the dark saber. Oh, like challenged in. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. I I think probably it seems like she's sort of slowly building back up her, uh, her sense of, you know, person uh, her her ego right like she's kind of building up to something and to be like uh you know mythosaur is for me you know like she's yeah <laughs> she's thinking she's thinking big you know she's even if it's like she's not conscious of it yet she's like has big ideas for who she wants to be and um you know the armorer says like it is a noble vision to see the mythosaur and that's kind of what Bo has is a noble vision of of like the you know like being this king arthur figure um Mm -hmm. and bringing mandalore back from ruin or whatever um Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that's i i think i think so i don't know if it's gonna be like you know din and i challenge you or uh, again i i thought the the alligator coming out of the water and all these like weird sort of omens with the kid being like final destination Snatched. cursed. <laughs> like, you know, like that kid is so doomed, you know, sort of by the, the, the plot or whatever that uh, <laughs> I feel like, you know, some inciting incident could happen or it just kind of puts things in motion. Uh, you know, you've got the cloning people and, and, you know, Pershing mm-hmm. and, and uh, Kane out there kind of, scheming and um like almost anything could sort of put things back in motion to where um you know because din got the dark saber just by like happenstance of like grogu being kidnapped and yeah 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 yeah. and he and he fought you know gideon yeah got it back so right right yeah i don't know i uh i miss his uh i miss his spear a little bit oh yeah that was cool yeah 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 his best car spear is cool and- <gasps> okay uh i think that's everything we don't know yeah this episode was for Bo. it certainly says Bo, you're me- meant to be a leader yeah we don't yeah, know what she's... it says for Din's journey, though. Yet. Yeah, it's it's definitely like one of those episodes that is probably going to feel a lot more significant after the fact, which, I, you know, I think that Rick's first episode that the one with the mud horn and the egg had a similar kind of feeling for me where like at first it seemed kind of like, oh, this is just to get from A to, to B or A to C or whatever. But in retrospect, we always bring that episode up as like, you know, the platonic ideal of a Mandalorian episode. And yeah, <laughs> uh, I feel like this episode could feel like that. It is a little short. Yeah. Um, you know, but but I do think yeah, that it's are good. getting some mirroring of Din's first season journey with how you said it, right? With Bo yeah. and Grogu. Yeah. Um, but Din himself is very is very stable right now. He's not transforming or changing. He's very much in a support role right now. 
Yeah. I I don't know exactly how I put it, but I, I said something about how this sort of widening the scope of the show by including like Hershing's journey and stuff on Coruscant and, and doing playing around with viewpoint. And, and this is another kind of instance of that, of like doing what you said about the title of the show, like, okay, it's about Mandalorians, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And, no, they, and they've Gro- just Grogu made the, the title plural, right? Yeah, yeah, for and sure. Yeah, I do think that Grogu is going to be significant from a Mandalorian perspective, too. Yeah. Yeah. But Bo is also significant. They spent yeah. an entire episode basically telling her, you have the right to lead, Bo. Yeah. And telling us, too, she has the right to lead. She led an entire party to save a foundling, the highest ideal of the creed. Yeah. You have that gorgeous image of, like... Okay, so you've got all these guys like sort of just running sort of thoughtlessly uh, with their jetpacks and running out of fuel. And then you get the sort of apocalypse now THX-1138 image of the dragon and then her ship following the mm-hmm. dragon and, and looking very dragon-like. And mm-hmm. so she's, she's sort of larger than life and, and got that kind of... Um, and also is is has the wisdom to lead. Yeah, yeah. Like not necessarily like she's some chosen one messiah figure necessarily, but yeah, just like she knew to like go to her ship and not just kind of run after, you know, mm-hmm. like uh um yeah, she's she's smart and her ship is like a, a sort of proper Mandalorian ship, uh, you know, exactly whatever that might mean. I mean, like all these people in the covert, like, do they even have a starship? I don't know. Stuck there. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, they're they're all baby birds in their little eggshells in their shells waiting, waiting, waiting for mother to allow them to, to hatch. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell what's going to happen. Again, I, I say I have this vibe that something's going to happen to the armor because I don't know that she's going to change, right? And I don't know that the covert can transform with her guarding the gateway like a gateway guardian for them to be able to transform. So I don't know yet. Uh, it would be, I would be very happy to find out that she transformed herself. (laughs) No, I I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree. I I could see it becoming a thing where she goes from being the obstacle to sort of being martyred and becoming like this catalyst, this sort of like Agent Coulson and the Avengers figure, you know, like, oh, we've, you know, we've got a... (laughs) you know um make a a good example and use like what she taught us but they're no longer like in that gravity anymore um i don't know i like the character um people are pretty harsh about the whole thing uh you know it's all Um, symbolic it's all metaphor right metaphoric right right? these are metaphors they are playing with Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I people are very harsh on the fact that Din hasn't broken free of his cult, but also the nest is warm. The nest is protecting. It is very yeah. hard to be taken out of the nest, but sometimes you don't have a choice. And that's what happened to the three baby birds that are in the nest currently. They were brought out of the nest. And so what will happen with Din, Grogu and Bo? 
our other three baby birds. I don't know yet. Mm, yeah. I don't know. We saw Bo's castle bombed and we saw Grogu sort of just pluck the crab from the sand and, you know, powerful forces at work in the galaxy. And yeah. Sometimes something, something you just will get... force them to move. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's wrap it up for this week. Um, thank you everyone for listening. If you're going to Star Wars Celebration, a, a beautiful reminder that I am on a panel called Powerful Light, Powerful Dark on Saturday, April 8th at uh, 1.30 p.m. Please come and hang out and enjoy me talking about mythology. <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, we'll be back next week. Unsure about when I'm away at First Star Wars Celebration, how easy it will be to cover the show. We're going to talk about it uh, when I get there and see if I can figure out a setup. Uh, but uh, it might be a delay by a week. We might end up doing the last three episodes all in one go. We'll see. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for listening. Alex, where can people find you if they're looking for you online? I'm on Twitter at Alex J. Kane with a K. Awesome. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Thank you for listening to What the Force. I'm Marie-Claire Gould, your host. Our music is Orchestral Music by Christy Carew for What the Force. You can support the show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash whattheforce. We like to thank all our patrons, especially those who love and are obsessed with What the Force. Melody in Wild Space, How Rude, Anna Perez, Neil, Christian Luca, Carly Ann, Josh Johnson, Scott C, and Susan. Support the show by wearing the Force with our merch. Like and subscribe on YouTube or leave a five-star review on iTunes or other podcast apps. It helps people find the show. You can connect with us on Twitter at WT Force Show, What the Force Podcast on Facebook. Our website is whattheforce.ca or you can join the Discord. Links are all in the liner notes. Feel free to reach out and start a conversation. Cheers. <laughs>